Today on The Topping Show, Elon Musk limits Starlink to prevent Ukraine from starting World War III. James O'Keefe is no longer with Project Veritas. The Supreme Court is going to take on big tech. All that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data, and Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day, have to say, quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas and can use some assistance, reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Jumping into the business, it looks like Meta is going to take a page out of Twitter's book. So Facebook, the brand we all know, they relabeled themselves as Meta, and they launched a paid version for verified accounts, which is somewhat interesting because for the longest time, Mark Zuckerberg always said it'll always be free for everyone because, spoiler alert, they make most of their money off of advertising and data mining, similar to Google. And when Elon Musk took over Twitter, he started to charge for verified accounts so you get that fancy blue check mark next to you and people know you have a credit card. And it looks like Facebook is going to do the same thing. And the cost is going to be $12 per month if you want to authorize or if you want to verify just by going on the web or $14.99 per month if it's via Apple's iOS because Apple has to make their commission off of that, which is why it's more expensive than just doing it online through Chrome or Brave or whatever browser you're using. And in order to verify, you're going to have to provide a government ID that matches your profile picture. Then they also note that you're going to have minimum activity requirements, which again, when it comes to anything in life, business, physical, fitness goals, what have you, quantify everything. So just saying minimum activity requirements doesn't really help the average person understand. It's not very transparent for what are your expectations for these users? Do they need to post once a month to be to stay authorized? Or does it need to be once a week, once a day, do you 10 times a day? I mean, what is it? no one really knows and another so if you get authorized on instagram and facebook you'll have that nice check mark that says you are authorized and verified and another thing is they noted that you'll have your profile bolstered visibly on instagram and facebook so more people will see your profile and i guess i don't know if this can be in addition to the regular advertising you can do on Facebook, Instagram, because a lot of businesses will push their pages on those platforms and they'll, rudimentally speaking, they'll just pay Facebook a bunch of money and they push that in front of a wider audience. And it sounds like this is gonna be doing the same thing, maybe to a lesser extent. I'm guessing it'll probably be a little bit of an either, a little bit of a combination of the two. There's an interesting article yesterday by Inc.com where they discussed Lego's secret vault at their headquarters and had more than 8,000 Lego sets on hand. And they noted a couple important things as what's the, reason, what's the real benefit of having this in terms of historical provenance as well as advancing your products. And I'm one of those old souls where I love to see the progress of a company throughout their entire history. I think one of the neatest commercials you could do is showing the entire life cycle of a company's product development especially with technology, because it always gets you know, thinner, faster, and more advanced throughout the years. And they have part of the vault that's open to the public. The sets date back to the 1950s, and Inc.com 
similarly noted that it's good for archiving so you have a record of what you produced for your company as well as what you're hoping to achieve when you're looking at new interesting technologies and products and it's one of the reasons i think automotive museums are so fascinating and i think i wish there were more automotive museums that were open to the public they a lot of them do have their private rooms but there's a couple of good ones in public now ford is a very um really good museum by their headquarters world headquarters in dearborn michigan and it's one of i believe three museums that has a chrysler turbine which is a chrysler vehicle that was actually engineered with a turbine engine as opposed to the internal combustion engine that we all know and love. And you could literally, every, anything that's combustible, you just throw it in that engine and it would burn it. It also idle at like 20,000 RPM because it's a turbine engine and is a, at the time, and still is prohibitively expensive for mass replication for the consumer market. So I'm one of those suckers where I think more businesses, especially if you're making physical products, always have an archive and it'd be really cool to make it public. Lego does have a VR or a virtual reality experience that everyone could partake in. And I think it's something that's really neat. I wish more companies were doing that and advertising to the public. I know Toyota North America has a neat little museum in their Plano headquarters. And you kind of see their engineering expertise throughout the decades and where they came from, their her their heritage, and where they're going to go as a company as they show future products in R&D. And something I think more companies should do, and it's good, it's good advertising. But I guess contrast that you have some companies that are only looking towards the future, which is what Steve Jobs is all about. So, I the only Apple museums I've heard of is private collections or third party. So it's not from Apple at their you know main Kubernetes headquarters, because they they're all about the future and what they want to do with their products. Another interesting business tidbit. China Securities Regulatory Commission announced new IPO rules for companies IPO performing IPO overseas. It's going to require their domestic companies comply with security measures and personnel personal data law before the IPO goes overseas. And they call for IPO underwriters to annually report to the CSRC or China Securities Regulatory Commission involvement with Chinese listings overseas. Actually, it's something probably more American companies should do. So maybe take a leaf out of their book for once. But not too surprising to see how much they want to have continued control over the companies as they do allow the companies in China to profit and grow overseas because there's so much of a bigger market globally. In terms of culture, um, Roland Dolly's publisher censors words from Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Matilda, and much more. He's one renowned uh very famous author. This is began this censoring process began in 2020, right before Netflix purchased the rights to his materials. And the editors at Penguin Children's Imprint Puffin, they cut the word fat in an effort for quote unquote inclusion and accessibility. So, which is kind of silly. One of the main characters of Charlie Chocolate Factory and one of the lessons back when Back when books and movies actually taught lessons and morals was, you know, gluttony isn't good because one of the kids, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the, you should only see the Gene Wilder film. That's the true masterpiece that I think is more accurate to the book, which is a good book I read a while back. And that really captures the magic of the story. And one of the, Augustus, he was just a very gluttonous child. He ate a lot and he actually got stuck in one of the chocolate tubes when he fell into the chocolate lake 
and he got sucked because he's overweight. He was fat. And I suppose they're saying that word is now a pejorative word. You can't use fat anymore, even though it's quite literally a part. Not only do you eat it, it's a physical thing, but it's also part of people's bodies. You have fat on your body. Even Olympic athletes and you know world-class bodybuilders have a couple percentage points of it. So it's something everyone has, some more than others. Other notable edits include Matilda. They changed the description of Mitch, uh, Miss Trunchbull from most formidable female to most formidable woman, which I don't understand why they maybe they're changing the definitions around, I guess. That one's a little unusual. One's gender, one's sex, and so they're switching that around. They also, other books where they cut, they trim the fat, pun intended, was The Enormous Crocodile, James and the Giant Peach, The Twist, and Witches. And they also changed, so instead of a lot of those books, they had the phrase enormously fat. Now it's just enormous. And it's interesting to see, and interesting and concerning to see more and more censorship throughout the years. People used to joke about, why do you ever need a physical copy of a movie, film, or book? Because once you have the digital copy, you'll be set for life. You'll have a nook, which is what people used at the time. And you'll have e-ink readers. Well, it's because they could change the stories at a moment's notice. And the stories lose meaning over time as you change words. So perhaps the most appropriate book that everyone should be reading is 1984 by George Orwell, since that seems to be a book becoming, unfortunately, more and more reality. Now, going on to the politics, and this is a little bit of politics and the, again, the overlapping of politics and business is just ever increasing throughout the years. So an upcoming pending case in terms of tech and something going to affect everyone is the Supreme Court Gonzalez versus Google. Now, this case is based on the fact that the Gonzalez family wants to hold the Google subsidiary or company YouTube liable for the death of a family member in a 2015 terrorist attack. The reason behind the suit is her family is suing because YouTube recommended ISIS videos that were used to partially or whole intensely recruit for terrorist activities. Now, they are claiming that Section 230 does not apply to the YouTube algorithm. And that's probably the most important phrase you'll hear in your lifetime in terms of litigation and law is Section 230, which is a fancy way of saying if you're a platform or you're not liable for what people say on your platform, similar to the telecom or telecommunication carriers such as AT&T, Verizon, what have you. If you call someone using an AT&T cell phone and network and you you collude a crime or you tell someone, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, break the law, AT&T is not liable for that because they are not editing it. They are not tweaking and controlling the conversation or flow of data. They are simply the spigot which data is flowing through. And that's how for years these giant platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, what have you, they have had no legal legal ramifications for censoring certain people. Now they're saying because you're censoring people, you're no longer just having a free flow of information, you know, shoot out. You're choosing which information is being controlled and what's being shut out. So that's why a lot of people, a lot of politicians are saying, you know, repeal Section 230 because these are, platforms are just not allowing all the data to be out. They're, thereby, people are saying these platforms should be reclassified as publishers, which that would make them liable for the things that are going on the platform. So this is particularly 
only addressing the algorithm, which is the re YouTube recommended channels. So this isn't actually attacking YouTube, but the actual algorithm around what they are recommending. So it's a small part of the pie. It'll, in, it'll be interesting to see how the Supreme Court rules once the case comes to fruition. If it does, this would reshape the internet as we know it. It would be one of the most drastic changes since the internet was invented because they wouldn't be able to recommend what they want. It would just be based on what you are looking for. It would be less of a product being pushed on you and more being product being based on your actual search to, uh, desires and interest. It'll be interesting to see how that case goes out. There's a lot of speculation about the new Supreme Court justices or new worst Supreme Court justices, where they might fall on this. And in my lifetime, there has not been a lot of pushback against the tech companies. It's become a political lightning rod that politicians on the left and the right keep pushing, saying, hey, this will help get us votes, they'll get attention. Will anything change? Maybe, but I'm not too optimistic. The incumbent solution or the incumbent is usually the safest bet, so to say. Now, other interesting political news, which is also tech news, is Elon Musk is limiting the use of Starlink in the Ukraine to help prevent the escalation, which he believes could cause World War III. And kind of wind back the clock a few months. So when the war first broke out or the conflict, whatever you want to call it, Elon provided the services for free. So he was shipping out, I believe he shipped out about 8,000 Starlink units. Let me see here. Or no, I, I was way, uh, way under. It was 20,000 Starlink units. And his cost in 2020 alone was between 80 and $100 million of his own capital, his own investment. And at the time when the war first broke out, Elon told the Pentagon US government, he estimates a yearly cost for the whole investment initiative would be around 400 million. And a couple of months into the conflict, Elon made a note saying that he believes both sides, Russia and the Ukraine should work together to de-escalate the situation and negotiate and come to a peaceful agreement. And one of the Ukraine officials quite literally told him to F off, which when you're getting a product for, and service for free, that's the most key component of your arsenal. I wouldn't, I would probably be more grateful and not want to piss off that person who's giving you quite literally, literally the engine to your car. Because every communication on the battlefield is being assisted through Starlink. So I wouldn't insult them personally. Now, Elon was taking on this ginormous cost alone, which is unprecedented. Every defense contractor gets contracts to the government, and they obviously make money off of that so they can make more products, hire more employees, and it's a business. Now, Elon did reach out to the U.S., to the Pentagon for financial assistance to see if they might be able to start assisting because of that ongoing, immensely high cost. That's, and coming from a defense industry, I don't see why, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be reimbursed for that or make a sale because... He's going into the negative for this. He just bought Twitter, so it's not like he's he's still the wealthiest man in the world. But why should he personally foot the bill for this war when the, right now the U.S. taxpayer is the, the biggest single contributor to their defense in the Ukraine at the moment with both of cash as well as fiscal materials, sending arms, armament, and other necessary needs. Now, what he is specifically doing in... I 
in his attempt to de-escalate the situation is he is limiting the reach of it. So he is making it so that they do not have the technological capabilities and he is disabling satellite broadband use for any potential strikes on Russian soil. So in layman's terms, he is making using technology to make them a little bit blind in terms of firing a missile or using a offensive attack from Ukraine into Russia. And this isn't a, this isn't too surprising given the, the strategic tips that we've been hearing from the Ukraine. Ukraine has asked for missiles with guidance and fuel capability to reach deep into, into Russia. So Ukraine is asking for the armament in order to make that reach out to go on the offensive and for the most of the conflict, the world has been with NATO, United States, they've been giving them arms armament for the defensive to push Russia out of where they are. And it sounds like they want to go on the offensive. And this isn't unprecedented. Zelensky has made that pretty clear. There's a issue where a missile actually hit Poland. And before anyone knew what was going on, Zelensky immediately blamed Russia and he called for NATO to respond in full force. Which, if you just think about it for a second, there's no strategic reason, reason Russia would shoot a missile at Poland. They're, they don't gain any political points for doing this. They don't gain, gain any land or any expansion into that. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it turned out, a couple days later, they found it was an accident and that the Ukrainian army actually accidentally misfired the missile into Poland. So the goal, I mean, Zelensky's made it pretty... He's, make, he's pushing harder and harder to go on the offensive. So some are hoping this might be able to help de-escalate the situation since this will take away their capabilities to fire into the heartland of Russia and hit those major cities. It'll be interesting to see what, what goes on and hopefully both sides can come to an agreement and there'll be less death and tragedy and there could be some peace. That's, I think that's going to be the best outcome that most people would like. Now going into the business blunders, one of the biggest... Most important alternative media sources is Project Veritas, which is a reporting outlet nonprofit founded by James O'Keefe. He founded the companies, and one the precipice of the conflict seemed to break when James O'Keefe broke the Pfizer story, in which he went over undercover, and his team found and that Pfizer was mutating and using gain of function gain of function research with. The COVID-19 variants again. So that's not great. Another breaking story that people kind of relate to Project Veritas is they broke a story in which a Chicago private school dean by the name of Joseph, Joseph Bruno was teaching elementary school children about sex toys, passing them around the room and doing other disgusting, unnecessary and on things that have no things that are not appropriate in any way for an elementary school. And which is even more surprising, the board directors for that school actually came out and said they supported the dean. But Project Paradox was the one that brought it to the light. And thankfully, I'm sure some parents took the kids out of that situation since it's not appropriate for the children at that age. Now, the board directors came with a myriad of complaints against him. Some people said, which is, this is one of the stories I don't know if you can even make. It was so bizarre. So someone was saying that James stole a sandwich from a pregnant woman. And others are saying he's very demanding and push folks to always work harder and do more. And when people complain about working 20 hours a week, I'm pretty pessimistic in terms of when people complain about someone being demanding. I mean, most 
not all, but many leaders just want you to do your best and go above and beyond, which is what you should, what you should always strive in life, whether your personal or your business work is just always going above and beyond. That's what it's one of the oldest lessons in of all of history you should be learning. Now, as the story evolved most recently, James O'Keefe released a video. And within the video, some of the points, so he, the board ousted him. Some are saying he's on paid suspended leave for good or forever, but it seems like they finally made the break. And James O'Keefe addressed things saying that one of the top things the board directors was upset with him was the strategy around fundraising. The board director said he was doing it wrong, which I found, I find ridiculous. They've been doing this for several years and people donate to that cause because of James O'Keefe. And so he's been doing a great job. If you look at the numbers, they raised more and more money throughout the history. O'Keefe was told by the board of directors that by asking for X dollars now, you will prevent 10X dollars from being donated down the road, which is ridiculous. Like I said earlier, like I say many times, quantify everything. So asking for X dollars now is perfect. It tells people exactly what you need to help the nonprofit stay afloat, get the resources necessary to break all those stories. You want an X dollar, you want a specific quantifiable donation amount that helps users that lets us know how much do they need. It's it's a lot more effective than just saying, hey, could you please donate when you can? I mean, quantify a time and amount and even tell people, hey, this is where your money is going. This is how you're helping support the, these independent reporters and journalists. So I, that sounds like a made up, that sounds like a red herring if I were to guess. And the board of directors was measuring success. Another bullet point that James O'Keefe brought up. The board of directors was measuring success by the number of dollars being raised, not necessarily the quantity or, or um, quality of the articles being produced. And as someone who really supports and believes in independent journalism, I would much, I much rather have a couple really poignant, life-changing stories, or as opposed to just a BS story three times a day, 365 days a year. And if you look at their historicals of what they do, they do consistent stories, but the ones that really have the biggest impact on society are the ones that really catch your attention and call for people to inspire people to donate more to that nonprofit. So I don't, that's something I dealt with. I used to work in corporate America. You have all these metrics, but a lot of them really don't matter. They don't, you really need to measure the metrics that correlate to the outcome you want to achieve. And that gets lost on a lot of people. Sometimes they just want metrics for the sake of having metrics. This is how some people may, I swear, how some people just justify their jobs by saying they hit certain metrics when, you know, what's the end result? What's the most important thing? You know, making customers happy, producing a great product, great customer service, having employees be happy. And you could just quite try to quantify the things that will get you to those outcomes. And the press, another kind of pivotal point where the board directors trying to oust him, the board directors scheduled a meeting to discuss the restructuring of the organization to push him out, give him, take away some of his power. And they scheduled that to take place the minute James landed from a trip. So he's on an airplane. They scheduled it to happen the minute he landed. You almost can't make up the story. It sounds so, so convoluted. This is going to be the this will be the biggest blunder Project Veritas has ever made. People do not donate to Project Veritas because of this Project Veritas. They donate because of James. Wherever he goes, whatever business or nonprofit he starts to support independent journalism, 
people are going to follow and donate to him. I mean, he was the one who broke all these huge, pitiful stories that really opened a lot of people's eyes. Project Veritas, I can't see them surviving as anything more than a husk of what they used to be once he leaves or now that he's gone. So in terms of a business blunder, this is, has to be the top of the year in terms of Project Veritas forcing James O'Keefe, the founder, out. When he built the whole thing, he's a number one contributor. His stories changed the world. He's going to keep, he will continue doing that wherever he goes and people will always support him. So whatever the name is on the wall behind him, people are going to donate there because he will continue to make a difference. I'm sure of that. And on that note, I want to thank you everyone for tuning in today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell anyone. Heck, thank you so much. Stay safe. Fight the good fight.